Hello, hello, check one, check two. This is Dumi. You're listening to Human Becoming. I'm your host. There's no one else. It's just me. And today I want us to speak about relationships. So if you don't know me or you don't know my work, if you're not familiar with me, I am a somatic sex and relationship coach. That was kind of my first um specific training to get into the line of work that I'm in today, which is really very broadly um, rooted in transformation and whatever aspect of transformation I'm particularly enthralled by or desirous of or curious about in a particular moment that usually informs my work. Hello, notification. We're rolling with it today. So today I was walking back from my art class. I'm taking an art class and I'm very excited. It's my first time painting on canvas and using oil um, colors and they're a really interesting medium to work with. So I've been enjoying that. And I was thinking about this question, why do we get in relationships? So if you don't know, if you haven't been listening to this podcast for a while, I love relationships. I love love. I love intimacy. All About Love is one of my favorite books, All About Love by Bell Hooks, which I read in 2018. I'm currently reading Communion by Bell Hooks. And I love thinking about connection. I love thinking about intimacy. I love thinking about how we create more intimacy and more love in the world. And I love thinking about what makes it hard for us to access connection, intimacy, closeness, love. Like what are the blocks? What are the barriers? Um, I I don't know who said this. Was it Rumi? Who was it? (laughs) Who said something, you know, um, I don't know, something's popping into my head right now, which is like your work in in love, your work is about finding all of the barriers within you to love. Like that is the work of loving people, is finding all of the barriers within you to love. There's a little hum in the background. It's annoying me, but I'm going to keep going. So finding all the barriers within us to love. And I've been doing this work a lot recently as I've been going on my own like heroine's journey, underworld journey, big Persephone journey, Anana's descent journey, like all of the archetypes are here with me in my body. And we're going down, down, down and really examining everything. I'm examining everything I've thought about love and relationships up till this point in my life. I'm analyzing all the expectations. I'm realizing that there are some really confronting beliefs that I hold around relationships, confronting for me to like look at and see. I've been doing a lot of shadow work around that. Once again, I've been doing this work of love, which is seeing the blocks inside of me to love. One of the things that I realized as I was doing this work is I have the belief. So this question, why do we get into relationships? Well, I have for, I think almost my whole life had the belief that I that I enter relationships, specifically romantic relationships, to to escape from the suffering of the world. I think in some cases, this is how I've thought of all my relationships, my friendships, my deep connections. Why am I here? To avoid, to escape the suffering from the world. And I never, or to escape the suffering from, from the world, of the world. 
I never named it like this before, though. It wasn't like I was consciously like, la la la, I'm going into relationships to escape suffering, haha. <laughs> you know, like this was just something I realized. But what was happening for me was my expectations around what relationships would create for me was what pointed me towards this internal belief that I have that relationships will take away my suffering. So, I realized that like when I'm in relationships, I want there to be no conflict, no challenge. I want there to be no moments of boredom of like, why am I with this person? I want there to be no doubt. I want there to be, there's like all these expectations that I have around how I'll feel in the relationship, in the connection, that when I'm in connection with someone, I'll never have moments of feeling lonely. I'll never have moments of feeling alone. I'll never have moments of feeling abandoned. I'll never have moments of feeling rejected. And something that I can bring in here is because of the romantic fantasy that is ivy dripped into our blood and bones from the time that we are kids, especially if you're socialized as a woman, because rom-coms are are just, you know, under this gender socialization, rom-coms are such a big thing. And rom-coms are such a way that we're ivy dripped these beliefs about love, right? Like with the right person, you won't feel any doubt. With the right person, you'll just know. With the right person, there'll never really be any challenges or fights, you know. With the right person, there won't be conflict. With the right person, you won't suffer. You'll just know and you'll 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 realize, like, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. La 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 la. <laughs> And it's a wonderful fantasy. I fucking love this fantasy. You know, it's delicious. It's like yum, but it's not rooted in reality. And so I I love fantasy. I think fantasy is a fucking fantastic tool of the human mind and imagination. And I think we should honor fantasy and use fantasy consciously. What happens is when we're under the spell of the romantic fantasy. I'm going to say that again. When we are under the spell of the romantic fantasy, because it is a spell, it is a spell. And when we're under its spell, we don't realize how we're taking on these expectations. We don't realize how we're taking on these beliefs. We don't realize how we're making these assumptions and how we are experiencing suffering as a result. So I've been under the spell of the romantic fantasy my whole life, still am, you know, and under the spell of this set of beliefs that being in connection with someone, especially romantic partnership, will alleviate my suffering, will take away my suffering. And if it's not taking away my suffering, then it's just not the right person yet. This is what I love about the romantic fantasy because it's like, no, that can't be the one. Because with the one, and then insert all these beliefs, with the one, let me actually get into the part of myself that really believes in this fantasy. With the one, it'll be easy, right? Like with the one, even if there is conflict, it won't be, it won't be intense, right? Like it's, it's so gentle. It's like you just get each other. I think there's an element of like with the one, yeah, they'll just, they'll just get me. Like when I say something, when I say I'm triggered by something, when I say I'm activated by something, like they'll just get that. We'll just get that. I I might not even be activated about it because they're so good at like preempting what's gonna trigger me or what's gonna not be great for me. Um, and maybe some of it is not even. It's like they won't even with the one, they won't even trigger me 
because they're the one, right? They won't have any of those challenging things that I meet in the world, any of those challenging patterns, any of those challenging ways of being that get, that fucking trigger the shit out of me with other people. They won't have any of that. So it's just going to feel easy and pleasurable and it's going to feel like turned on all the time and we're going to have amazing sex and we're always going to desire one another and we're always going to be so attracted to one another and we're always going to be so tender with one another and so patient and so loving and so understanding and so caring, right? Like there's just always going to be this tenderness and grace and gentleness and mm, so yum and always this knowing and always the sense of like you complete me right? Like, I think there's something about this fantasy that's like, what was my life before I met you? What was my life? What was my relationship to myself, to others, to God? Like, you've changed all of that. And I'm different now for having loved you and for continually being loved by you. So there's many things about this fantasy that I so resonate with, I think are so beautiful. But what can happen is like human relationships are actually a hotbed of suffering. <laughs> human relationships are a hotbed of suffering. Human relationships are the arena for suffering to play itself out. And so I realized I was having this conversation with Hades at my altar and Hades Hades is always so confronting. Hades is literally like, you keep, <laughs> you keep going to these romantic relationships thinking that you're not going to suffer, but that's exactly why we have created human relationships is so that you have this fun little arena to suffer. Like <laughs> you're expecting something that's in some ways, it, like it's it's contrary to why that thing was formed. It's not about it being impossible, but it's like you're going to something for to fulfill a function that it was never created to fulfill. Romantic relationships and relationships, human relationships weren't created to fulfill the function of perfection and no suffering. They were actually, you know, formed as arenas to suffer and through that suffering, um, you know, become more awake, aware, enlightened or not, you know, but uh, Hades was really letting me know that like, what, why do you get into relationships? Relationships are arenas to experience yourself being human. And when has being human been about perfection, about never experiencing challenging moments, challenging emotions, challenging feelings, triggers from your childhood. Like since when has being human not been about those things? That's exactly what it's about. And so when I realized this, I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. <laughs> and um, and also though, it brought me really deeply into like, wow, I've been holding this really intense expectation of my friends, my lovers, my partners, my family even that I should never experience suffering in our relationships. And if I do, something's wrong with the relationship, right? Something's bad. And I think with family, there's this, well, depending on your family, I have a pretty loving family, but we still trigger each other all the time or, and we still trigger each other all the time and we love each other intensely. And there's a thing though with family, of course you can leave your family, you can cut family off, but there's a different kind of bond and commitment there. Like even if, even if my mom triggers me, I'm like, that's still my mom. Um, this is not me saying that anyone has to have this relationship with their family. You can cut your family off or not. But I, I just think there's a different set of societal expectations and norms that we're um, indoctrinated into about family and longevity and what it means to, you know, have your family. So with your family, it's like, of course, you frustrate the fuck out of me, but I love you. You're my mom. Um, or like with my brother. God, you annoy me so much, but I love you. You're my brother. 
And so I think there's this way that like, though when a romantic partner frustrates me, I'm like, and it it doesn't, it doesn't even with friends, I get less frustrated. Like it's really in romantic partnership that I experience the most suffering. Um, romantic connection, right? Where I get those those warm attachment feelings inside of my body. That is where I experience the most suffering. That is my greatest arena for suffering. It might be because I have a lot of seventh house placements and relationships are, you know, and Jupiter's in my seventh house too. There's just a lot of activity happening in my seventh house in astrology, seventh house relationships. So that's where I experience a lot of suffering and a lot of growth, right? Like it's where it's, it's a lot of how I meet and know God is through my experiences of connecting with other people. But I get frustrated because I, when I, when I get frustrated with a romantic partner or I feel like my needs aren't being met, they're not attuning to me perfectly. You know, I'm like, why don't you get this? Like I've said this to you a billion times. I've said that this triggers me. Like, why am I not seeing a change in this behavior? Um, pro tip, people don't change. (laughs) And in like the most loving way possible, I say that people don't change. Um, And people do. It's nuanced. But, you know, why, why am I not seeing you change in these ways that I want you to? Why am I not seeing a difference here? Why aren't you behaving, you know, in my um, triggered state? Like, why aren't you behaving better? Um, And then there's this sense of like, then I'm like, well, I guess I should just leave the relationship because this is clearly not how it's supposed to feel. You know, I'm not supposed to experience this level of frustration. I'm not supposed to be triggered in this way. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be so easy. I'm never supposed to be challenged, you know. Um, And that's where the romantic fantasy stops being like this fun, hot thing and ends up being this oppressive thing that actually prevents me from being in human intimacy with other people because I hold such a high expectation for what that means and what that will look like, what that will create, you know, what that will feel like. (sighs) Breathe. So that was really humbling for me and humbling in the face of this breakup and I've been going on dates with people and like having fun and and being open to the possibility of connecting with more people but there's definitely been this sense of like ooh the shadow around relationships why do we get in relationships and so under the romantic fantasy I thought we get into relationships so that we don't suffer Um, we get into relationships so that all our needs are met perfectly and we just experience bliss and delight. (laughs) And as I was walking home from my art class today, I was thinking about how being in relationships with other people is kind of like saying, you know, like, I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. That's how I think of relationships, all relationships. Um, you know, maybe non-familial ones because familial relationships kind of have that energy of like we're bonded by blood. So let's say relationships that we choose. Of course, you know, one can say spiritually we choose our family, but I mean like when you're here in your human form, relationships that you have the the sense that you choose. I could complicate this so much and be like, do we choose anything? Relationships that you are under the illusion that you are choosing, whether it's an illusion or not, who knows, but relationships that you believe you choose. (sighs) It's kind of like, you know, I'll scratch my back, you scratch mine. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yes. And And there's something about that that's like, oh my goodness, you know, I think then some of us with our attachment trauma get into a place of 
I need someone else to scratch my back. I don't know how to scratch my own back. This can be the experience of being anxiously attached, right? So when you're anxiously attached, I just bumped my mic. Um, Sometimes it's harder to regulate uh, your nervous system without being in connection to another person. It can, you know, connection can become or it can feel more addictive. It can feel more like, I need this, right? Because you, you, when you're anxiously attached, like I am, there's a relationship um, to love and connection that is, is rooted in scarcity and this feeling of scarcity. So it can lead to this like, like, I need all this connection. I need all this love. I need you to scratch my back. Like, I don't know how else to get my back scratched. Like, almost sometimes this anxiety around it too, right? Because you, you're you familiar with the feelings of, of neglect and not having someone to scratch your back when you really need it. So there can be this like intensity around like, please scratch my back. And then for people who are avoidantly attached, there can be this other relationship that's like, no one's going to scratch my back. So I'm just going to scratch my own back. No one ever reliably scratches my back. Literally can't trust people to scratch my back. And this comes from, uh, you know, uh, early childhood experience of not being able to trust the people who are going to be there to scratch your back. So then you take on the messaging that, well, no one else is going to do it and I'm just going to take care of myself. I think in some ways this is to avoid the intense disappointment of being unmet but it's a survival strategy and a really solid one right like i'm just going to i'm just going to scratch my own back whereas if you're anxiously attached the survival strategy is to make sure you're near people who can scratch your back so these are both strategies for surviving coping and getting our needs met but what can become imbalanced in intimacy is we we need to be able to i think to be in really great intimacy we need to be able to scratch our own backs and receive people scratching our backs. I know we're we're going with this metaphor, but I really just love it. So what I mean by this is when you're anxiously attached, the healing arc is saying, wow, sometimes it feels like I'm incapable of scratching my own back, right? Like it feels like I'm incapable of giving myself the love, the care, the connection, the deep intimacy that other people give me. So when you're anxiously attached, you might end up wanting all of that, all of those those needs from your partner or your partners or your community. And part of the healing arc is learning to say, whoa, I'm putting my hand on my back now. Like I can actually do that for myself. I can get that in all these other places. And it's not a and now I'm going to only do it myself. It's I can get it from all these people. And in moments when I'm feeling stressed and like I really need a back scratching, whoa, I have the capacity to give that to myself. That's amazing. And that's so healing if you're anxiously attached, because if you have that sense of you can only be soothed through connection to other people, learning that you're capable of self-soothing is so profound. And if you're avoidantly attached, the healing is in saying, I can scratch my own back. I could scratch my own back all day, every day, right? I could be totally self-sufficient in my back scratching. But wouldn't it be nice if I could let someone else do that for me once in a while? So when you're avoidantly attached, you're learning to let a little bit more of that care in. You're learning to receive a bit more from other people. And when you're anxiously attached, you're learning to receive more from yourself and in connection with yourself. Just because it's kind of like you're getting the other experience. And I think this is the beautiful reason that anxiously attached people are often attracted energetically to avoidantly attracted, uh, avoidantly attached people and vice versa. It's a beautiful polarity of, of these two wounds 
and both people hold the medicine for themselves and for each other, right? But like the medicine for the anxious is to take on some of the strategies of the avoidant and the medicine of the avoidant is to take on some of the strategies of the anxious. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. <laughs> and so, you know, in intimacy, we're learning to do this. But what can happen if you're like me and you're anxiously attached? When you're anxiously attached, often it can feel like, yeah, you you learn that you can only experience it soothing and regulation in connection to other people. So it might feel really panicky to be disconnected from other people, to be disconnected from your partner or the person that's giving you back scratching. <sighs> And so what can happen in that, one of the common activating strategies that you might use to get your partner to scratch your back is to blame them or to shame them for not doing a good enough job. Um, and it comes from just this wounded childhood place. So there's no shame in it, right? But it can be really hard, especially if you have an avoidant partner who's going to respond to that blame and shame by retracting into themselves. And you're actually wanting the opposite reaction. Most of the time when anxiously attached people are blaming and shaming and creating conflict, they're actually wanting more closeness, but they don't have the adult tools to communicate that and navigate that. And then if they're dating someone who's avoidant, that's going to trigger the fuck out of them because a lot of avoidantly attached people have had this either kind of overbearing parent um, overbearing in their expectations, overbearing in their demands. So it feels much safer for the avoidantly attached human to be in their own bubble. And so that push of shame and blame can feel like a big intrusion. And to protect themselves, they're going to retract. And then, you know, it just forms this dynamic and everyone feels hurt and, and no one really gets what they want. So when, for me, my experience of being anxiously attached is also feeling frustrated, like no matter how much my back is scratched, it will never feel like enough. You know, it's like, I always feel like I'm wanting more, like more back scratching, more back scratching. Why aren't you giving me more? Why aren't you giving me more? It's not enough. I need more. So I often get to that place in relationships. And because I date a lot of people who are avoidantly attached and have wounds around feeling like they're not enough, then that triggers them. And I don't actually get the thing that I want, which is more back scratches. Also, the medicine for the anxiously attached human is to say like, one human might not meet all my back scratching needs, right? Like one human might not be able to do all of that for me, but a community of humans might, a whole ecosystem of humans might be able to do that. And how can I think about cultivating a life where I have an ecosystem of back scratchers so that all of the pressure that's been put on one single person to scratch my entire fucking back for the rest of my life is distributed in a community of people who actually care about scratching my back. And so I think there's something really beautiful about this. And I think there's something really beautiful about back scratching, back scratching. Um, now I'm just like really in like I'm scratching my back. I'm like, wow, there's something really beautiful about two humans coming together and saying, I care about scratching your back. And this brings me to this question, why are we in relationships to scratch each other's back? So there's something beautiful about saying, I care about scratching your back. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm not probably going to be able to do it exactly in the way that you want me to. I'm not necessarily, you know, going to meet all of your back scratching needs. Like I, that, that's a lot of pressure, but I care about scratching your back. And I'm going to scratch your back within my boundaries and within my capacity. 
and I'm going to do that from a place of love, like because I actually care about that, you still might feel and experience disappointment because you might be like, whoa, I wanted more back scratching than you could give me. But I'm going to take care of myself and my boundaries and my capacity so that I can show up for you sustainably and so that I can show up for this back scratching that we're good that we're doing together sustainably. So I think that's really beautiful. And in that, um, there's a lot of work here around disappointment, right? I think you can go to earlier episodes of the podcast to kind of uh, hear my thoughts on disappointment and disappointment in love and connection and relationships. But there is an element of, you know, if a human is saying from their genuine heart's desire, like, hey, I care about scratching your back, which is for me, code for, I care about meeting your needs. I care about meeting your needs. I care about meeting your needs. But I'm going to do that within my capacity and I'm going to do that within my boundaries. Essentially, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to overextend myself because that's going to take me out of intimacy. But that's so incredibly loving. That is so fucking incredibly loving for another human. It's it's in some ways humbling. And I don't think we always let ourselves feel how humbling that is for another beautiful, godly, divine human to say, I care about supporting you and meeting some of your needs. And so in this question, right, coming back to this question, why are we in relationship? Well, it's, I think some of why we're in relationship is to scratch each other's backs, right, to meet some of our needs. It's also to come together around commitments and values. Um, so I, let me think about how I want to, how I want to bridge this. Yeah. So there's also a way that we want to come together around com about commitments and values and dreams and goals. I think that's another part, right? And that is part of need meeting. It's all part of need meeting. But we come together around these shared commitments and values and maybe goals. For example, I want to do a bit of back scratching together and I want us to commit to being loving with each other. That matters to me. So I've been thinking lately about commitment. Commitment's a big word that comes up in connection to people. Commitment, commitment. And I've been like, what does that really mean? And a lot of the time when people are speaking about commitment, they're speaking about a commitment to time, a commitment to longevity. So we're committed to each other. Often there's 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 an involvement of time in the relationship. There's a sense that we're committed to doing this over a period of time. And I think this is where a lot of heartbreak in society stems from because a lot of the time when people break up and experience breakups, it's like you're grieving the loss of all of that, all of all of that which you projected into the future, you must now grieve the loss of. All of that time that you committed to that is now dead must be grieved. And I've been thinking about how oftentimes when we're saying we're committed to each other, there is an entanglement with time that's unspoken, but, you know, is is there. And I've been thinking about what it means to create commitments around other things. So for example, I want to do this back scratching with you, which is now essentially how I'm just going to def define being in a relationship with another human being, any kind of relationship. I want to do this back scratching with you. And I'm, I want us to be really deeply committed to the work of love. So this is something that's true for me. And what that means is I, for as long as we're here, I want us to be committed to repair, right? To, to, to meet in conflict with love and a commitment to, um, to understanding where we're coming from. 
I want us I want us to really use conflict as an opportunity to deepen an intimacy. I'm also deeply committed to intimacy. I'm committed to us feeling close and connected to each other um, and not not just keeping things at the surface. This is one of my commitments, right? I, I, wa- I want to commit to knowing you deeply and knowing you beyond some of the masks that you wear for the outer world and the outer, outer society. Like that's one of my commitments. And there's no right or wrong commitments to make. It's just truly in your heart. What do you want to vow? What do you want to commit to? I vow to do my best to meet you in tenderness when you're triggered. Is that a vow that we can make together? Is that something we care about doing together? In some relationships, you won't. For example, a relationship where like maybe you're living together and it's purely out of convenience and, you know, like more of like a roommate relationship where maybe you work night shifts, they work day shifts, you never see each other. Maybe you don't feel the urge to vow, to commit, to repair. And that's not right or wrong, right? So I really want to take it out of like, there's a way to be in relationship. Instead, it's like, how could we meet each each relationship and say, what are the commitments and the vows that are wanting to come up here? And can we also commit to maybe reevaluating them as time goes on or as new commitments emerge? If that feels like a commitment a commitment we want to make. Do we want to commit to reviewing our commitments? You know, like there's so much room for play here. Um, But I've been thinking about how a lot of heartbreak also stems from not being really clear about what we're committing to and what we're vowing to. And I hope you can feel here the difference between a commitment like we're committed to each other, which often is involving longevity and time. It's a marriage with time that we're that we're experiencing or we're committed to doing the work of love, which we define as blah, blah, blah. We're committed to repair. Uh, we vow to tend to one another's children, inner children, right? Like, And I think there's a way I like to think of this as like in the beginning of a relationship, my mentor, Celeste, um, Celeste Hirschman described this to me as like, um, in the beginning of a relationship, you might be like, hey, I'm going to like let you hold 5%. If my child, my inner child is like sitting here on my lap, I'm going to let you hold them like 5% of the time. And I'm going to see how you do at, at co-parenting 5% of the time. And then maybe I'll up it to like 10. And like, I probably never want to go above 50 personally, because I always want to have that commitment between me and my little. But I can imagine a relationship where, whoa, we're committed to doing some deep, deep co-parenting for one another. Not all relationships will hold that commitment. But what the romantic fantasy does is also says like, these are the commitments that you should make and then like throws those expectations on you and we throw them on each other and then we get really frustrated when we don't meet those commitments, but we've never really talked about what we're committed to. And so I'm definitely shifting that in how I move through relationships with people now. It's like, what are we vowing together? right? Like seeing really this like marriage ceremony with a new friend, with a business colleague, with a a romantic relationship. Like what, what, what are our vows as we are here at this altar? What are our vows? What do we vow to one another and before God in God's presence? What are we vowing? And I think that creates a framework for I, I often don't like the word accountability because I think people have actually taken it and used it in a very um, 
cop-like way in our society where whenever I hear the word accountability, I see the green pistol emoji, like take accountability. And I'm like pointing a gun to the mic. Sometimes I'm like, that's, I don't like that. And I had a conversation with this really cute person recently. And I was like, what does account, they brought up the word that relationships for them are about accountability. And I was like, what does that mean for you? Because when I think of accountability, it it feels violent. <laughs> um, and they were saying, they were explaining a bit about what that means to them. And I was interpreting that as like, are we being accountable to the vows and commitments we made? So I think where this also gets muddied in how we navigate romantic relationships specifically is we make assumptions that we're on the same page about the vows and commitments that we've made without ever having a verbal conversation about the vows and commitments that we've made. And then we get triggered and we want to hold each other accountable, but like to what, you know? And then we often hold each other accountable to the romantic fantasy that neither of us is going to um is going to fulfill. And so creating this framework of vows and commitments really allows for, hmm, (sighs) Mm. Mm -mm 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 -mm. creating this framework of vows and commitments creates a creates a room, creates room, not a room, but creates room for accountability that isn't pistol, like, hey, what not? I'm holding you accountable, you know, <laughs> but rather, um, hey, how do you, how do you feel we're, we're holding, how do, how do you feel about how we're meeting these vows and commitments? And, and when it's not coerced, when both people are sitting down to really co-create a relationship, to co-create a container, to co-create vows and commitments, there's then a sense of, we we decided on this together. I'm not holding you to commitments that I've dreamed up for you in my head and you're feeling imprisoned by these commitments that have been thrust upon you. No. We we created this together, right? Like we created this. So, how do we feel we're doing? How do we feel we're doing if we made a commitment to communicate with each other and maybe we defined that in very particular ways? How are we feeling there? And so for me, then the process of accountability is is much more gentle and it's just a way of saying like, how are we doing on the things that we committed to? And it's also a way to when we've created that, if I feel like I'm feeling, I'm feeling you losing your center around the commitments that we made around communication. Like I'm noticing that I'm not necessarily feeling or I don't think, maybe I'm I'm making an assertion, I don't think that you're as committed to this vow right now. And maybe I can specify it, right? Like when you said X to me or when you behaved in X way, I didn't feel your vow to be loving, right? Maybe when you um when you disappeared for a week without communicating. I didn't feel your vow to be loving when we defined loving in these very particular ways. And maybe part of being loving is taking care of our inner children. And for me, part of having my inner child taken care of is is having communication because I get really triggered uh, when people don't communicate with me because that's what my dad would do growing up. And then like he would like say he was going to do something or say he'd arrive and then he never would. And I would have these delayed experiences of disappointment. So for me, taking care of my child, if that's part of our vow, is you communicating with me when something happens, when you're going to disappear. 
But what happens is often I'm holding that inner expectation, but I haven't necessarily communicated that to my partner or the person that I'm connecting with. And they haven't necessarily consented to that, but then I'm holding them to that expectation and holding them accountable. And like, it actually just ends up being really hurtful for both parties. So I really like this new framework of navigating and really being clear about what the commitments and the vows are. And then it becomes a lot easier to say like, hey, you didn't do this and that didn't feel loving in the ways that we decided to be loving. And can we talk about that? Because I'm hurt and I'd like to do some repair and I maybe need to be listened to and and maybe that behavior isn't going to work for me. And we have to communicate about whether that's a behavior that you can you can because I think there's something about compromise in relationships that I've been thinking about too. Like I hold this principle that people don't change with people's most challenging patterns. They're likely not going to change, you know? And so there's a way that I used to always be like, no, this, this will change. This will change. And, and my partners could also promise it, but likely there are some things that are so fundamental about us and they're so fundamental because of traumas we've experienced because of early developmental trauma, because of our adaptive and survival strategies in the world. There are some things that just aren't going to change. For example, if I'm dating someone who's avoidant, there's likely not going to be a time when they don't need a bit of space uh, after after something happens that's upset them. Like That's going to be how they take care of themselves is taking a bit of space and then coming back into connection. We might find strategies of like, hey, I get really triggered when you take space. So could you remind me that you love me and then take space? Or, you know, are there different strategies we can explore? And once again, I can't just be like, that's the right thing to do. You should tell me before you take space. Like they have to really honestly check in with themselves. They might not be capable of being loving with me and saying, I love you and I need to take space. Like that might not be available to them. And that doesn't make them bad, but it does mean that we should really assess whether there's compatibility there because I likely will be triggered a lot. And so... I don't know. I just, I really, I, I lost my thought there, but I'm, I'm really fucking with this framework. I'm really digging this framework. I'm really enjoying also how consensual it feels and how it, it leaves room for the humanity of, of all individuals um, involved and it leaves room for negotiation. And it also needs really clear communication in the beginning to say like, hey, what are our commitments? Um, and it creates, it creates it creates a clear framework of accountability that doesn't feel like you're being held accountable to something you didn't actually consent to because you've clearly consented to these things and had a conversation about them. Um, and then there's the negotiation of like, realistically, what can you consent to? What can you agree to? Um, and yeah, that's that's my most recent, you know, download uh, on relationships and how I'm going to navigate them moving forward. I wanted to share that with you because I think this is a, a big question for our time. Why are we in relationships, you know? Um, and we need relationships. We need connection. We're a social species. But like, why do we go to relationships and what are we expecting? And I also like this framework because it allows for each relationship to be unique. I think what the romantic fantasy does is it creates a template for how things should be, big air quotes, and then you cut and paste that template. You like copy and paste it, paste it, paste it over every relationship. And 
and it's a very rigid framework. And then where you see the lines of the relationship going outside of the lines of the template, you're like, that's bad and wrong and it needs to be changed or the relationship needs to die. Um, and I think this allows for like, what can this relationship hold? Um, what can this relationship what, what kind of back scratching is possible here? And it also, for me, as someone who's anxiously attached, like one of my best strategies for anyone else out there who's anxiously attached, one of my best strategies is, is finding different places to get those back scratching needs met. And then to learn that like one person isn't necessarily going to be able to be attuned, communicative in this ways that I define these things, right? Attuned, communicative, super present, super loving, super sexy. Um, we're super sexually compatible. We're super emotionally compatible, super deep, super spiritual, super conscious, you know, like, and there are many people who hold lots of those qualities, but like someone might have a fantastic ability to take care of me in that like they text me. I'm thinking about one person that I um, was just like connecting with at a point and they would literally, if they were even two minutes late, they would say, oh my God, I'm so sorry but like i'm going to be there and and they would literally never be more than like 5 minutes late but it would you could see like they would get stressed about that like i'm so sorry and they would usually be like right on time like on the minute and for my inner child who experienced so much delayed disappointment with my dad saying like i'll be there and then being like oh it'll be another hour and 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 then like eventually not coming that is so it feels so good in my body. And this person would like, whenever we'd go for dinner, like they'd always, they would always pay for everything. They would always pick up the bill. They would always like, there were a lot of things that just felt so good. I felt so taken care of. It was really in that way, like just so fucking delicious. Um, and and they were very attentive um, and very attuned. They're also not someone that I would necessarily want to be in a partnership with. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of beauty in that relationship. But then if I took that relationship and I said, and now you have to want to text me every single day. You want to have to be with me every single day. You want to have to not be with anyone else. You you want I need you to want to meet my family. I need you to want to meet my friends. Like suddenly I might be asking that relationship to hold things that it doesn't want to hold. And in the romantic fantasy, then I have to throw the whole relationship away because it doesn't fit the blueprint. Or I could say, like, those things are fucking fantastic. And there's another person who we have such a profound intellectual and creative connection. Like, we just get each other. And and they they I love when people understand my work and understand its importance and its power in the world. And they do that. They get that. And we can have conversations about the work. And that feels, like, so fucking juicy and nourishing. And they will take days to text me back, you know? Once again, I can go... Ah, oh, cookie cutter. Why the fuck won't you? You need to text me every morning and every evening. I've done this with partners. You need to do this. You need to do that. They end up getting resentful. It doesn't feel good, you know. Versus, can I can I can I take the thing that this relationship is vowed to, is committed to, is capable of holding? And can I hold grace and leniency for where for the things it doesn't hold? And can I hold grace and leniency for myself? For the places that I can't accept the person or the relationship. So for example, 
person who I have amazing creative um, and intellectual connection with and feel like that deep, you know, soul connection, I might never be able to accept the texting thing. It might just always be too triggering for me, you know? Um, and can I not make them wrong? Like, you're bad for not texting in these particular ways. And can I not make myself wrong for being like, to me, why can't you be more accepting and loving? This is who this person is. There are some things that just aren't for us. Like there are some things that we just won't have capacity to lovingly be with. And it's really deeply loving to be able to name that instead of trying to force it. And then I end up nagging. What I would do is I would end up nagging and complaining and feeling resentful and actually taking myself out of intimacy because I'm so frustrated because I'm pretending to accept something that actually I can't accept at least not in this moment. Or I can accept, but I need a boundary around, right? Like I can accept and say, I don't want that in my sphere, in my bubble. I want us to engage. Maybe that looks more like a friendship, right? Than like a romantic partnership because I have way more leniency for not texting in friendships with romantic partners or romantic connections, it triggers me more. It just triggers me more. And especially if that's with men because of my dad, it just triggers me more. So there's real value to also doing this internal work so that we can become aware of those things that work for us and don't so that we can navigate that in the world in a really loving way. I used to or I would used to make it that person's problem and say that they were wrong and bad somehow. And now I can just really lovingly be with reality. I can really lovingly face reality. And that for me is something I'm so fucking grateful for the ability to do. It's something that all of these trainings that I've been doing and, and these containers that I'm in, it's something that they're really supporting me in doing is just being with reality, facing reality. And that is what I want for you. So even in our relationship, you know, I think about like, wow, what are the vows here? And for me, when I think about you and I want to do, I, I want to be more consistent in how I show up, but my vow is to be in sustainable intimacy with you. So it's to take space when I need to take space and it's to be really present when that feels good for me. Um, my vow is not to cross my own boundaries when it comes to connecting with you and to be like, yeah, I'm going to connect with you in ways that feel good for me because I know that's how we can be really loving with each other. Uh, my vow is to be really vulnerable for our relationship to hold a lot of vulnerability. My vow is for our relationship to hold a lot of tenderness and truth, right? Like my vow is for our relationship to be an arena for you to explore yourself and to know yourself deeply and intimately. Um, my vow is for us to center and anchor in truth here and in presence and in realness. Um, yeah, those are like some of my deep vows to you. And so I hope that this has been useful. You know, I really care deeply about you and I care deeply about your relationships. Um, I've been listening to, or yeah, Esther Perel's been like in my sphere of, um, of influence in my orbit lately. And, um, and she often speaks about how the quality of our relationships de determines the quality of our lives. And I believe that to be true. And I want you to be in loving and nurturing relationships. And I'd like for that to start with us too. I'd like for this to be a place that, you know, you in some ways know what it feels like to be connected to someone who really deeply loves and cares about you and honors you and, and wants what's best for you and wants you to 
feel into your desires and and honor your boundaries and you know and and not feel so much shame so i love you so much and i'm excited for our relationship to grow i feel more capacity to do that with you um so yeah thank you for being here with me i love you deeply and i will see you again soon hopefully next week Mwah.